Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Today, this episode is sponsored by the town of Vegreville, and it's all about the history of Vegreville. Now, Vegreville is a wonderful community located east of Edmonton on Highway 16 in Alberta. I've actually been there several times, and I've driven by many times, and it's a really cool community. And probably the most famous part of it is the Pasanka, which is this giant Easter egg that you can see from the highway. But there's so much more to this community. Of course, we'll be talking about the Pasanka, as well as many other things. Now, throughout this episode, I'll have some archival clips of things. I'll be interviewing the mayor of Vegreville, and I've kind of structured this episode a bit differently than normal. There'll be different segments that you can uh, enjoy, and uh, different things that I'll be talking about. So, let's just get to it. The Early Years As you drive down Highway 16, heading towards Edmonton, or towards Lloydminster, depending on your destination, you are going to pass a community midway between Alberta's capital and the border city. You will also start to see a lot of signs advertising something called a Pasanka, but more on that later. The town is Vegreville, and its history goes back to before Alberta was a province, and it's a fascinating history. The area around Vegreville is said to be a land of legends, and was very important to the indigenous who moved through the area for centuries. One interesting aspect of the landscape is Akusu Hill, located 10 kilometers east of Vegreville. It rises to 736.4 meters, making it the highest geodetic elevation between Obed Summit and the Canadian Shield within the Boreal Plains. The oral histories of the indigenous state that bands used to come to this landmark and use it as a rest stop thanks to the lake. It is said it was a place for souls that were in need of inspiration. And local farmers would find plenty of evidence of indigenous activity in the area, including petrified pemmican and arrowheads. The name Akusu means sick, and it's not known where the name came from for the hill. Some theories say that the local indigenous would go to the top of the hill to pass on, and others attribute it to a smallpox epidemic that swept through the area in the 1870s. Charles Napier Bell would write in his diary that the hill was referred to as Sick Man Hill. One legend relating to the hill comes from the story of an indigenous warrior who came to the area and collapsed on the land, ill and unable to carry on his journey. As he coughed and sneezed, gusts of wind churned up dust and he became sicker, and a crater was formed that would become Akusu Lake, and the dust from that crater formed Akusu Hill. It is said that the area was called by the indigenous Beaver Hills Lake, and that name would pop up in the early history of the area. In 1881, we would get our first settlers arriving when Dick Steele and Billy Inglis turned the first land on the east shore of the lake. They were followed by a man by the name of Peter McCallum, a carpenter, who would be one of the more important individuals in the early history of Vegreville. He had traveled throughout Canada for many years, looking for his spot, and it seemed he would find it in the area. He quickly saw the potential of the area and began to write to his friends back in Ontario urging them to come to the district. A.R. Moody would arrive in the area in 1887 and brought with him an error of distinction. He had served in the Northwest Mounted Police from 1880 to 1885, and he was with Lieutenant Colonel Otter when Otter attacked Poundmaker's camp at the Battle of Cutknife. 
At the time, the nearest station to the area was Edmonton, quite the distance away. And this made a very long journey for anyone looking to trade for goods, sell their crops, or get to any place that had a train station. The area would continue to grow though, as settlers passing through started to see the potential of the land. By 1892, a school district was organized with J.B. Steele serving as the first teacher for the area, and settlers continued to flock to the area, many taking up ranching, and the sound of cattle could be heard throughout the land. In 1894, several French-Canadian families were living in Kansas and began to hear positive reports about the land in the Canadian Northwest Territories. With no real knowledge of the area, these families sent three men, Joseph Poulin, Benoit Tatreau, and Octave Oterno, to the area to see what it was like and to scout it out. The three men would make it to St. Boniface, Manitoba, where they met another man by the name of Martin, who had surveyed much of the area around future Vegreville. He told them that the land of the Vermilion Valley was excellent, so they decided to continue on to Calgary, then up to Edmonton to see the valley. Unfortunately, the bad trails prevented this, but they were impressed enough with what they did see to make their recommendation to their families in letters back to Kansas. Reaching as far as Egg Lake, a flag was put down to claim the land, and the party returned to Edmonton on April 29th, and they would come back to the valley on May 2nd and break the first bit of land on May 19th, planting potatoes 10 days later. They then planted corn on the 31st and oats and barley on June 5th. The agricultural history of Vegreville had begun. On June 14th, the first church service in the area was held, and on July 4th, Father Dorias came to conduct the funeral of a child who had died. This was the first confirmed death in the area, and the first funeral service. One day later, the first school, called the Independent Catholic School, was established. At the start of 1895, the community was growing, and there needed to be a proper name for the settlement. Father Morin would come forward with his idea for a name, suggesting it be called Vegreville, after Father Valentin Vegra. Father Vegra was a missionary who had a residence near Lac Saint Anne, and he would spend 50 years serving the Northwest Territories of Canada and was an expert linguist, able to speak several languages, many of them indigenous, including Cree and Assiniboine. He had arrived in the Alberta and Saskatchewan area in 1865 and published several books in Cree and wrote a French Assiniboine dictionary. He would pass away in 1903, and he would never actually see the community named for him, but his efforts to encourage settlement in Western Canada were a big reason for Vegreville to come into being. The same year he died, speculators arrived in Vegreville to survey 80 acres of land for town lots. By this point, Vegreville had five stores, one hotel, two blacksmith shops, and several homes. In 1904, the first Catholic church was completed, and Bishop Legal came to the settlement to bless the church. It was around this time that the railway was coming through, and residents could see the writing on the wall. It was not going through their community. They did what anyone would do at the time. They picked up and moved the entire town a few kilometers away to where the railway was coming through. By the time the Canadian Northern Railway arrived in Vegreville in the fall of 1905, the community of Old Vegreville was empty of its residents and buildings were being moved, skidded along the prairie to the new site. By the end of the winter of 1905-06, Old Vegreville was an empty site on the prairie. 
And in all honesty, that is extremely common. You see that quite a bit in various histories. I can think of Waterhole moving up to uh, Fairview. Another one is Stettler that moved its community. But this is what people had to do back then, because if you wanted to thrive, you needed the railway. The boom was now on for Vancouverville, and the population would explode as new residents began to arrive and set up businesses and homes. The Post Office When settlers first came to Vagerville, or at least the area that would be Vagerville, the nearest post office was found at Beaver Lake, 20 kilometers away. During that time, Jean Poulin handled the mail and would take a trip to pick it up twice a month, far from the daily mail we enjoy today. As was stated before, the post office would arrive just as the 19th century began to close out and the 20th century dawned. When Vagerville moved to its new location, a post office was set up and operated out of the five cents to a dollar store, before it eventually moved to the Dobbins building. By the 1920s, the community was growing at such a rate that work had begun on a new post office in 1929, with the new building costing $60,000 to build, but serving as the central meeting spot for decades to come when it was finished. And you can still see this building in downtown Vagerville as part of the walking tour, something I'll get to later. A tough 1918. While the year 1918 is remembered as when the First World War finally ended, and that's good news, there was some tough moments. One of the worst was a fire that broke through the community, destroying 28 stores and burning business blocks to the ground on April 11th. The total cost of the damage was $350,000, or $5.45 million today. In July, the summer heat was interrupted when the district was hit by frost, essentially destroying the crops that were in the ground. In the night of July 23rd, the temperature fell to negative 5 degrees Celsius. At the time, the district was looking at possibly having one of its best crops in years, before it was all destroyed. By November, as the war ended, the Spanish flu arrived and spread through the community, causing many to become sick, and sadly, a few to die. St. Martin's School the Daughters of Providence arrived in Vagerville from France over a century ago and formed St. Martin's Catholic Separate School District. In 1907, the first students began to arrive and they attended classes in the church rectory. In 1908, the Covenant of Immaculate Conception was built and served as the living quarters for the sisters, as well as a school. In 1914, a school was built and that school exists in the community to this day as St. Martin's Catholic School. And again, you can see that by visiting the community of Vegerville. Since that point, the school has been upgraded on, and a new gymnasium was built in 1958, and a new wing was added to the original brick school in 1981. And it's a wonderful, beautiful structure, and something that's not very common in the prairies is brick. So when you see a building like this, it's important to check it out, because it's actually got a really cool and long history. Ethnic groups. The area of Vegerville was very enticing to many settlers during the first half of the 20th century. By the 1950s, Vegerville was one of the most ethnically diverse communities in all of Western Canada, with 30 different ethnic groups living in the area, with the four largest being English, French, German, and Ukrainian. Thanks to the French influence I touched on earlier in the episode, 
the northeast part of Beggarville was actually known for some time as Frenchtown, where many of the French families lived. Here's Mayor Tim McPhee. Well, I can tell you one thing that does stand out to me, Craig, is that the different ethnic groups all got along. Mm -hmm. And they had to because the town moved. Originally, it was at a different site. And when CN came through, so it wasn't just Ukrainian people, the French people or the Romanian people that moved it. They all moved Mm -hmm. and they all did it together. And if you look at a lot of the projects that have been done in this town over time, I I know originally uh, when Kinsman started back in the 40s, the very first pool in this town was dug by hand by Kinsman. And it was every ethnic group that you can imagine that did that. Mm-hmm. So what's really amazing is the, the amount of different ethnic groups that we have here and, and culture, but how they've all worked together to make this community what it is. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. The Railroad The arrival of the railroad was always a huge event for a new community, and Vegreville was no different. Before the railroad arrived, as I said before, settlers had to travel to Edmonton for goods and to trade their crops. When the railroad did arrive, Vegreville boomed, and that boom is celebrated in the community through the symbol of a bygone era. The Canadian National Railway caboose number 79458 was converted from a boxcar in 1971 in Winnipeg, and it would travel the country for the next 22 years until it was retired in 1993. The caboose was then donated by the CNR to the Vegreville Chamber of Commerce. And you can actually see that caboose. It's actually located in the same park as the Pasanka. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I remember the caboose going by and waving to the man in the caboose. And those were bygone era days. And unfortunately, we can't wave to the caboose anymore. But you can visit the caboose in Vegreville. The Vegreville train station was built in the spring of 1930, housing the local telegraph office as well. For the next four decades, the railroad station was the hub of activity for the community. The railway had a 126-passenger car called the Skunk that ran from Edmonton to Saskatoon. From 1974 to 1979, it was jointly owned by the Canadian National Railway and the Senior Citizens Sunshine Club of Vegreville. During those years, the last dayliner train between Vegreville and Mundare would run, and in August of 1978, 
Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip would arrive by train in Vegerville on their Canadian tour. This was the last time the CNR station was used as a train station. Today, the station still exists in the community and is designated as a historic site on the municipal, provincial, and federal levels. And you can see that station today and be somewhere that the Queen and Prince Philip were four decades ago. Pasanka. Without a doubt, the most famous aspect of Vegreville is the Pasanka, also known as the world's largest Easter egg. Coming from the word pitsy, which means to write, the egg would get its start thanks to the Alberta Century Celebrations Committee that was coordinating the centennial celebrations of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to be held in 1974, honoring the 100th anniversary of the March West by the police. The committee was tasked with distributing funds to communities to build a monument to the RCMP. For Vegreville, this meant that the Vegreville and District Chamber of Commerce would take up the challenge, and while many suggestions came in, the most popular was a giant Easter egg to symbolize the peace and security the Mounties offered the area during those early years. Designed by Paul Sambaliak, an artist who was born in the Vegreville area, Professor Ron Resch from the University of Utah was then tasked with creating the Pasanka, which required the development of new computer programs. This was no simple Easter egg. The egg would feature 524 star patterns, 2,208 equilateral triangles, 3,512 visible faucets, 6,978 nuts and bolts, and 177 internal struts. All of this would come together to not only form arguably one of the most famous roadside attractions in the province and Canada, but an artistic masterpiece that has the distinction of accomplishing nine mathematical architectural, and engineering firsts, and its design represents the first computer modeling of an egg. In all, the egg measures 25.7 feet long, 18 feet wide, and is 31 feet high. The base it sits on is 27,000 pounds, and it turns in the wind like a weather vane. The Pasanka is colored bronze, silver, and gold, with each color representing something. The bronze color represents the good earth of the area, the gold stars symbolize life and good fortune, and the three pointed stars alternating in gold and silver represent devotion to the faith of ancestors. In addition, the band of silver has no beginning or end, and it represents eternity, while the gold and silver windmills with six veins and points symbolize the rich harvests of the area. As for the silver wolf's teeth, that represents the protection and security of the pioneers by the RCMP. It was such a notable achievement that Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip visited the egg during that cross-country tour I was talking about earlier. Another amazing fact is that the software used to guide the lasers to cut the Pasanka's tiles would be purchased by NASA and used to cut the exterior tiles on the space shuttle. In highlighting the ethnic backgrounds of the community, the caption under the Pasanka is written in the languages of the four largest ethnic groups of the community. And the dedication says, This Pasanka, in brackets Easter egg, symbolizes the harmony, vitality, and culture of the community, and is dedicated as a tribute to the 100th anniversary of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who brought peace and security to the largest multicultural settlement in all of Canada. Bakerville, Alberta is the home of our newest tourist attraction, the largest Ukrainian Easter egg in the world. That's 25 feet and 3,000 pounds of man-made egg. 
people of Vagerville and the computers of the University of Utah have been at this project for almost two years. The town has a predominantly Ukrainian background, and it wanted to salute the RCMP on its centennial, a sort of thank you for the security the force provided when this land was first settled. What better way than a giant pizenka, a committee decided, the colorful Easter egg that's so much a part of Ukrainian tradition. The design was an enormous mathematical problem that took computers almost a year and a half to solve, together with 12,000 man-hours. It was ready for dedication to the opening day of the Vagreville Fair, all 3,000 pounds of it, more than 25 feet long and 18 feet wide. In the words of the people who built it, the great Pizenka combines the ancient traditions of one of Alberta's largest ethnic groups with breakthroughs in modern science, thus linking heritage and progress. One of the officials who took part in the ceremony noted the attention that the project had already received and noted that tourists, awestruck by its size, are moved to remark, I'd sure love to see the chicken. Here's Mayor Tim McPhee. Well, uh, when the Chamber of Commerce decided they were going to put some sort of a monument together, and that was what they came up with, was a decorated uh, Easter egg uh, from the Ukrainian heritage. Nobody had ever modeled an egg on a, a computer before. Mm-hmm. So they used some computer space at the University of Calgary and the University of Dallas, I do believe. And at the time, it was quite a deal to model an egg. Nobody had ever done it before. So the money that was spent uh, back in the day, their computers would fill, you know, uh, storage rooms. Mm-hmm. And when they uh, finally were settled on uh, the design, the community came together. Uh, the The builders themselves were, or I wasn't here at the time, of course, uh, but uh, I've read quite a bit of the history and it is quite amazing. And uh, Alberta Power at the time had a lot to do with it. They were using their pole trucks to set pieces in and makeshift scaffolding. And to see it, if everybody was to look at it, to see it, all these triangles snapped together to build that egg. So it was really a feat. Colors uh, that are in it are very unique too. They mean prosperity and uh, growth. And uh, it all has meaning, everything that's in the egg and the design. It's quite a piece. Uh, not too many people in this country have not seen it. Uh, and I know that I'm originally from the Maritimes. And uh, I know before I left the Maritimes in 79, it was being built and everybody was talking about it then. And everybody I know, they see it. They always send me a, a email or a text. Hey, we see the egg. The Vagerville Museum. When you go to any town, one of the best places to visit to learn about its history is the local museum. And the Vegreville Regional Museum is an excellent one that chronicles the history of the area going back to 1890. It also features an exhibit honoring Donald Mazankowski. While Donald Frank Mazankowski was not born in Vegreville, his impact on Vegreville would be immense. Born in Viking, he would be elected to the House of Commons in 1968 for the Vegreville Riding. For the next 25 years, he would serve the community faithfully, becoming the Minister of Finance from 1991 to 1993, and serving as the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada from 1986 to 1993. While he was offered a seat on the Senate, he declined, but he would receive the Order of Canada in 2000 and was inducted into the Alberta Order of Excellence in 2003. Here's Mayor Tim McPhee. Well, that showcases all the history of this area. 
So it's, it's amazing the artifacts that they have, personal artifacts that have been donated. There is quite an assortment of older farming equipment outside. Uh, <laughs> by people to feel that they need to drop it off for some reason. <laughs> but uh, and there's, there's rooms, uh, certain rooms that are dedicated to, well, there's the Mazankowski room, and it's a lot to do with Don Mazankowski and his career as an MP and Minister of Everything and Deputy Prime Minister. And, and then there's some other stuff in there that uh, even uh, the, the, the Aboriginal people from this area, and there's, there's been arrowheads and stuff found around here. And, of course, we're in Treaty 6 land here, so there's, there's certain spots for that. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite a mix at the, at the museum right now. Quite a bit. Uh, there's a one little section there that dedicates to the very first switchboards in Vegreville and then how the automation and, the, and technology improved to the point where they uh, <laughs> actually didn't actually have to pull the wire. Personally, it was the, they just pushed a button and it went there. Our Lady of the Highway. Nearby to Vegreville, you also find the Our Lady of the Highway Shrine, sculpted from Italian white marble. Behind the statue, you'll also find the marked stones that display the Stations of the Cross, and it's well worth a quick stop as you drive through. Historic Downtown In Vegreville, you can learn the history of the community through its historic walking tour, which takes you through the historic downtown of the community as you learn its history. On the walking tour, you will come across the post office, which I mentioned previously. Unlike many communities in rural areas, Vegreville has a theater that has existed since the dawn of motion pictures. The Capitol Theater, once called Vimy, was opened in 1919 and today is a twinned movie house. Murals in the community highlight the history of Vegreville as well. At the previous location of the Prince Edward Hotel, which is now the Rendezvous Rotary Park, there is a mural that has the flags of Germany, Quebec, Ukraine, the United States and Britain on it, along with the images of the people from the past, including Father Valentin Vegra, the namesake of the community. The second mural is of the HMCS Vegreville, which depicts the minesweeper that was built in 1941 and that operated during the Second World War. The ship saw action at the Battle of the St. Lawrence, the Battle of the Atlantic, and the invasion of Normandy, and it was broken up in 1947 for scrap. So if you go to Vegreville, I would highly recommend that you check out the walking tour to really get a sense of the amazing history of this community. Many of the places that I've already mentioned are on this walking tour, and you can see them firsthand. Here's Mayor Tim McPhee. Well, uh, it's kind of a unique uh, shopping area. There is uh, probably uh, a few knick-knack stores. There's a Ukrainian store there. There's a framing store. Interesting happenings. One of the things I love about local history is that each place has a story to tell, and there are many stories. So I'm going to close out this episode on Vegreville with some of those stories. One story tells of an incident on May 10, 1946. At 10.10 p.m., a small plane was flying from Edmonton to Cold Lake when it began to experience engine trouble. Needing to find a place to land, the pilot, identified as M. Wales, along with his passenger, R.W. Howlett, chose Main Street in Vegreville. As they descended through, the plane clipped a power line at the corner of Main Street and 3rd Avenue. The wires were torn off the power line outside the curling rink and a post fell, striking 13-year-old Olaf Salamandic, who thankfully only suffered a broken leg. 
The plane then hit a light standard across from the newspaper office and came to a rest after taking the tops off several trees on the courthouse lawn. The plane was nearly destroyed, but neither Wales nor Howlett suffered anything beyond some minor injuries. I had already mentioned about the time Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip came to Vagerville, but the community has been visited several times by prominent individuals over its history. Likely the first Prime Minister to ever visit Vagerville was Sir Wilfrid Laurier, who came to the community in August 1910, only a few years after it had moved to its new spot. One year later, since it was an election year, Robert Borden came to Vagerville to campaign. While Borden wasn't Prime Minister yet, he would soon be elected, serving from 1911 to 1920. In October 1924, Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King, along with several members of the cabinet, came to the community and met with Mayor A.W. Fraser. On August 8, 1951, Prime Minister Louis St. Laurent arrived in the community where he met with as many residents as he could. He then went to the Elk Island Park, where 30,000 people had gathered to hear him speak and officially open the Ukrainian Museum located there. In May of 1962, Prime Minister John Diefenbaker came to the community on May 25th. He received a very warm welcome as he went down Main Street with his wife to the Queen Elizabeth School. Once he arrived there, 1,000 children sent up a chair for him and he spent some time talking with the children while at the school. Here's Mayor Tim McPhee. I think more than anything, it's the uh, the culture that Vegreville is known for and uh, the people, how proud they are and how they've supported their culture over the years. And today we're changing. We're not your grandfather's Vegreville anymore, but the heritage and the culture of this area is still important, even to the, the new generation of uh, families, young families in town. So... We've always been associated with the, the Ukrainian culture here and uh, been very proud of it, the uh, citizens of this community. And uh, we're now we're just taking it uh, one step further, I think. Uh, we're, we're not just a place you go and visit your grandparents anymore. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that look at Vegerville. It's a really cool community. It's a friendly community and it's got just a wonderful history outside and in, from Akusu Hill to the Psanka to the historic walking tour with all those amazing buildings. It's definitely a community I would encourage you to check out. If you did enjoy the episode, I would encourage you to give a like and review. You can also reach me at craig at canadaehx.com and you can see hundreds of articles on my website at canadaehx.com. You can also support the podcast by going to Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. Thanks, we'll see you again next time.